Well, how's everybody doing? Good? You look good. You know, I kind of like having lights because I can tell when you're dozing off, right? Anyway, uh, I just want to say a Merry Christmas to you, and you know, God is, uh, is in the business of doing great things, and he wants, you know, sometimes we hear that and we think, yeah, but what about my life? Is God going to do great things, or can God do great things in my life? And I think the answer is a definite yes, and God is maybe going to begin today. You know, I I think the hardest thing as a pastor is when you have people who say to you something like this, you know, I really am so grateful for what God's doing in other people's life, but I want him to do something in my life. I want to see evidence of his hand. I want to be able to feel and know the presence of God in my life. And I want you, before you leave today, I want you to experience that presence of God. I want you to know that he loves you. You know, God sent his son, Jesus, for you. And not just for your sins so you could bypass hell, but also for your sorrows, for your discouragement, for your depression, for those moments of defeat, for all of those difficult things that the human race experiences. And we can say that in a general term, but... It doesn't quite have the impact until we think about our own life and and what you feel and what you experience in life. We talk about God. I, I want you to know this, that God is on your side. God is totally on your side. You know, we grow up in homes and all of us have different experiences and we, we kind of get our, our, our cue about what God must be like from the people we associate with, from our family from our friends, from those early religious experiences. And sometimes we get the idea that God is an angry God, that God really is not happy with you, that God doesn't want to get on your side. And that doesn't come from God, that doesn't come from Scripture, that comes really from your own heart, it comes from people, it comes from the enemy, but it doesn't come from God. God is on your side. I want you just to repeat that with me. God is on my side. Let's just say all that together, would you? God is on my side. And whenever you feel like he's not, repeat that same statement. And also remember this, that God can take setbacks and he turns them into something that's really, really powerful. He proves his faithfulness through the setbacks you go through. You kind of experience a setback and you say, where do I go with this? Watch God's faithfulness. Ask God to work. Ask God to to get involved in your life. You know, birth is a miracle. Don't you love uh, just seeing a new little baby? I mean, I saw these moms and dads bringing in little ones today, and they're, they're just so cute, and they're not innocent, right? We, we know they're not innocent. I mean, they're like terrorists. They keep you up all night. You know, you give them something, they want something else. They just, like, control the entire world. But in reality, it's a miracle. You see this little baby, you go, what a miracle, but I want you to know that birth is not is maybe the beginning of God's miracle, but it's not the end of God's miracle in your life. And God wants to do a lot more. We're going to look at the, the biblical account of, of uh, uh, this following of the, of the star, this, this birth experience that we read about in Matthew. So let's look in our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and then we'll, we'll comment and talk a little bit about this as we go. The Bible says, now it was after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea 
in the days of Herod the king. Now let me just stop you right here and, and remind you the Bible sets chronological guideposts. It puts real personality in. And God does that for a reason because he wants you to be able to understand that this is set in a real historical situation. It's not just something that is arbitrary and, and spiritual and apart from real life. Wants you to be able to date some things because sometimes that becomes important later on in demonstrating the validity of Scripture or the faithfulness of God. He goes on to say, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now there was this group of wise men that would, were known as the Magi. You read about them in Daniel chapter 2. They were the wise men that, that he referred to. And you remember that Daniel was in a peculiar situation. King Nebuchadnezzar had, had overrun Jerusalem, had taken all these uh, young boys uh, back, and he had turned them into servants. He had turned them into all kinds of, of different kind of dimensions within his kingdom. And what he did was he had this group called wise men. They were known as the Magi. Later on, that same group would be picked up in Hellenistic times and be called Zoroastrians. And that would be much later than that, and there was this following of mystery that kind of surrounded that whole world. But Daniel, the, the king, had a dream, and in that dream, he had this vision, and he went to his wise men, and he said, interpret this for me, and none of them could interpret it. None of them knew the answers. Then they called upon Daniel, who called upon the true God, and God revealed truth to him. Well, the king was so angry with the wise men, he ordered them killed. In fact, they began the process of killing these wise men in Daniel chapter 2. But you know what Daniel did? He interceded for them. He said, wait, don't kill them. I have the answer. Let me tell you what God is up to. He became then the head of all of that group of wise men in the kingdom of Babylon, which would spread into uh, what would then be a, today Iran, but Persia. And in that position, he would influence those wise men for the kingdom of God. We have evidence of that all through history of the impact this 6th century B.C. prophet had on the Magi. Now, go on with the story here. They were the wise men who came from the east probably because they learned something about the true God from Daniel, saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? Now, what Magi, what pagan uh, follower of a pagan God would, would even ask that question unless they had some insight coming from a true prophet. And I want you to know that God, when he works, he works in a very, very precise way to fulfill prophecy. It says, for we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So the star appeared in the east from where they were. They said, we saw that, and we came for one purpose, worshiping the true king. That's really why we're here today, isn't it? To worship the true king to take our eyes off of ourselves for a moment, go back and say, God, we need you with all of our heart and all of our mind, all of our soul, we need you. Now the Bible says in verse 3, when Herod, King Herod heard this, he was troubled. He didn't want anyone asserting his, his right to be king and all of Jerusalem with him. So everyone was upset about Jesus. Have you noticed how things haven't changed? Everybody's upset about Jesus. Duck Dynasty. They just said, oh, yeah, you know, and he made all these comments, that, which is why they hired him to be controversial. But when a minute he starts dropping Bible in Jesus, 
Now, I don't really, to me, it doesn't matter what you think about Duck Dynasty. I'm not like, I don't have like the outfit and the sign and the t-shirt and I don't got any of that stuff. I haven't even watched a whole episode. I watched like five minutes and I go, oh yeah, I went to school in Louisiana. I've seen this all my life. (laughs) This is just normal down there, right? My buddy had a hunting dog down there named Fido, P-H-Y-D-A-U-X. My best friend was named Malcolm Richard. We pronounce it Richard. So, you know, it's all just kind of goofed up down there, right? I'm sorry if you're from Louisiana. We love it. We love the chicory coffee. We love all that kind of good stuff. But I don't want to live there ever again. Um, (laughs) Now, all right. So now, everybody was upset about Jesus. People are still upset about Jesus. And when it says they gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, Herod says he's inquiring of them about this Christ, who was to, where was he to be born? Now you notice that everybody is looking for Jesus at this moment. They're looking for this king. So, he said, so they said to him, they knew, these wise men, these scribes that he'd gathered around, they knew, they said, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, thus it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Scripture. This scripture is, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, this is someone who's vying for the throne. Then Herod, when he was, had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. So he brings these wise men in from the east. He says, tell me everything you know. They don't know what the king's up to. They don't know he's getting ready to commit murder in the land. And it says, and he sent to Bethlehem and said, go search for the young child. When you have found him, bring word to me that I may come worship him also. And that was deceit. Notice what scripture says. When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly in great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. That's what they came for. These guys were so moved, they traveled so far, and they came and they worshipped right in that particular situation. And it says, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, now look at verse 12, this is a key verse. Then being divinely warned in a dream. You see, God is all over this story. He's sending them, he's interceding, he's revealing himself in a dream they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Let's talk a little bit today about the witness of Scripture and what does the Bible have to do with Christmas anyway? I think it's kind of uh, interesting that Starbucks made a decision this year that they were not going to, to celebrate Christmas. They'd have red and they'd have green, but they would not do any of this Christmas kind of stuff because it just wasn't politically correct. I think that's really good news for us. It gives us opportunity. It gives us opportunity when someone says, well, uh, you know, happy holidays. And I go, which holiday are we talking about? <laughs> we're not t- it's not Thanksgiving, is it? I did this the other day at Starbucks. They said, uh, they said happy holidays. I said, well, which one? And they go, what? And I go, well, is, is it Thanksgiving? No, 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 that's already been happening. I said, was it like Easter? No, no, no. I said, which one is it? And it was like pulling teeth to get the word Christmas out of their mouth. I said, it wouldn't be Christmas, would it? Oh, my gosh. Has Jesus gotten in this one, too? 
what this world coming to? Jesus is slipping in everywhere. We don't know what to do. We've got to get him out of Christmas because, oh, what do we do with that name? We've got to change it. Let's change it to a happy holiday. Then I could have gone into the derivation of the word holiday. It actually came from the Hebrew, meaning a holy day, set apart to worship God. Then I kind of got into the word mass and this gathering uh, that came out of the Catholic Church of bringing people together in mass to worship and to understand and to experience God. I could have gone into all of that. You see, it's just every conversation is replete with opportunity to talk about Jesus. Jesus. Look at Genesis 1.14. He told us something about how God gets his, his message out in Genesis 1.14. Right in the first book, First chapter, it says, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. Let them divide the day and the night. Let them be for signs. They're for signs. They're also for seasons and for days and for years. So God says, when I want to get your attention, I will use the heavens. I will use the moon and the, star and the sun and the stars. How about Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3? The heavens declare the glory of God. Everywhere but L.A., too many lights. I heard we're in California, you're up to like 32 million people now. Uh, every one of us have four cars, and we're all on the 91. <laughs> the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. When I look up into this, this vast domain of, of, of space, I see something of God's handiwork. And then it says, day unto day it utters speech. In other words, there's a message that God has that's in the heavens. Night unto night, it reveals knowledge. I can go out into the day, and God is speaking. I can go out into the night, and God is revealing. It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. He was literally saying, globally, God is getting his message out. God is speaking clearly and revealing clearly. When we think about this Bethlehem star, we, it's, it's, it's one of the most investigated, one of the most skeptical kind of viewed things when we come to this world of science. And if we just kind of make some honest observations about it and we try to dig in and understand something of it, we might say, well, the star must be a single object. They call it a star. Not a cluster of stars, not multiple stars here. We also know it must be rare in its occurrence. It was something that caught the attention of these, these wise men. They traveled a long way to figure out what was going on. It was spectacular, and yet in one sense it was, it's appeared to be obvious, but not obvious to all. It seemed to be something that was pointed back to Jesus. It was able to appear, disappear, reappear in the same place. Now, how do we match that up? How do we line that up with science? Mark Thompson of the, of the Royal Astronomical Society came up with a theory that it's, a, it's Jupiter in a retrograde motion. And this colliding of stars in terms of just the, the eye, not literally, but of the stars. He, he made this comment, this quote. He said, the retrograde motion meant the planet was traveling in a westerly direction in the sky, and so the wise men may have followed from Persia. So he comes up with some kind of a scientific view of what might have happened here. Then he further said this, and I quote, by camel, it would have taken about three months, and interestingly, this was roughly about the time Jupiter was traveling in the westward direction. All right, so now I go, okay, well, he's come up with some idea of how this might have worked. 
Others have said a supernova, that is an exploding star, but we don't really have enough historical evidence to say, yes, that's what it was, but it doesn't match up with the criteria of movement and reappearing and disappearing. Could have been an angel. In Job chapter 38 and verse 7, God calls angels stars. We know angels are able to appear and disappear. God led Israel in the wilderness. We remember from our our study through the book of Exodus, got a year in that. Uh, Should remember something about it, amen? But uh, but that, that God uses angels, uses Shekinah glory, a brightness of God's power to go on. Whatever we say, we have to say there was somewhat of a miracle here. Something was happening, whether we can clearly understand it scientifically or not. We know that God does miracles. He calls those things which are not as though they are. God is in the miracle business in your life and in mine. We know that God places each of the stars in the heavens just as he chooses, and he gives them all names. We read in Psalm 147 and verse 4. And wouldn't God bring in a heavenly display to announce the birth of his son and fulfill scripture? Wouldn't God do that? How many of you ever gotten an evite from somebody? Got an evite? Raise your hand. Let me see. Got an evite? This was God's evite. It was an eternal invitation. Come over here and see what's going on in this part of the world. Now, when we begin to think about what's God doing in our life, I, I, I took and I chose carefully from Nick, whose video you just saw, quotes from, from his, his website. I said, I want to take a quote from him, and I want to bring it into every major component of this message today. And here's the first one. You heard him say it. If you can't get a miracle, become one. You know, I know a lot of you really, really well. And I know a lot of your story. And your story is a miracle. The way God's worked in your life, the way that God has taken you through tough times and and brought you into better places, and even you're in a tough time now, and you know, you say, I just need a miracle. Have you ever stopped to think you are one? I got to admit, when I watched that video of Nick, I felt pretty bad about myself. I thought, how selfish am I in? How many, how many times have I whined and pitied me? And I'm looking and going, that dude can swim better than me. I seriously, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't take it. The miracle of prophecy. You know, when we talk about prophecy, we think in a couple of ways. We think one of speaking a word about a situation or about a person. We also think about something that God foretells into the future. Have you ever noticed how things you say about you or things you say about other people sometimes become what we call a self-fulfilling prophecy is what we say? Do you ever think that maybe God has so empowered words that they do in fact have the power to, to affect our world and to change our world and when we speak good things that that has an effect in our life? One of the shows that I like to watch is uh, The X Factor. Anybody watch The X Factor? Like four of you? Are you kidding me? Come on, you're not unspiritual if you watch The X Factor, right? Because you're getting ready to watch it right now. So, <clears throat> so if you're unspiritual, but if, you, if you're unspiritual by watching, you're getting ready to be unspiritual now. Okay, I have, uh, I was reminded of this. I've only cried in three videos of my life, and someone reminded me of four. So four, I'm going to give you four. This is one of them. And there's a guy getting ready to come on stage. He is so afraid to sing. He literally is shaking. And at the end, he talks about the friends of his who told him not to go on there, that he would make a fool of himself. 
And it's one of those very uncomfortable moments. Very uncomfortable moments where you just think, I wish this guy would just go away because it makes me feel uncomfortable about me. So let's watch this, uh, this clip from The X Factor, okay? Do you want to calm down? Who is your biggest fan? Who supports you? Me, Nan. How old is your Nan? Me, Nan's 76. Yes. Are, you, are you really close with her? Very close, yeah. We've got a, yeah, she's here tonight. She's in the back. She's here? Yeah. And what would it mean to you to get through today? It, it will mean the world to me. I mean, the song that I'm singing, um, it was played at my granddad's funeral. Um, and that meant a lot to me. It was a celebration of his life. And this means a lot to me. So that's why, you know, I feel like I can want to sing it today for you. And you know. Take it away. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, and it's taking me. I say love, it is a flower, and you, it's only
This is it. This is Pat. This Hello, is Pat. Hi, Pat. How are you feeling? Fantastic. I'm a little stressed. Fantastic. <laughs> Christopher, how old are you? 34. 34. How the hell have you kept that voice hidden till now? I've never put myself out like this before, and I've just put the bullet this today, and I've just gone for it. Do you, do you not believe in yourself? Can you not hear yourself when you people sing? Have, people have said that, you know, don't come on here because you're going to embarrass yourself and you're going to make a show yourself. <laughs> Christopher, who, who said, said that? that? People, just who? people. You stole the show today. Thank you. Nobody else is going to get that reaction. Nobody else. Should we have a vote? Christopher, it is a yes for me. Gary, I'm so happy for you. It's a yes from me. Easy. Christopher Maloney, a million percent yes. Christopher, a massive, massive yes from me. Congratulations. I don't know if that moved you. But you know what I saw in that? I saw me, and I saw you. I saw every person on, on this planet who in one way or another feels like that. And while you step back, the whole world looks at you and assumes you're not going to make it through this or you shouldn't be on that stage. You shouldn't be doing what you do. And somewhere behind that is, in that case, the judges, but in our case, God who believes in us and who claps and smiles and says, I came to restore in you everything that's lost by sin. See, sin is damaging to us. It makes, us out of cow it makes cowards out of us. It, it takes us away from our, the image of God. You were created in the divine image of Almighty God. He does not diminish you. The enemy wants to come along and tell you you're not worth anything. Make you afraid to get on the stage of life, so to speak. But God comes and he gives you a rounding of applause. Nick said this, don't put your life on hold so that you can dwell on the unfairness of past hurts. What's on hold in your life right now? What's keeping you from going forward? This miracle of prophecy, it says in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. God tells us in Bible that there is a prophetic word that God says, I'm going to give a kingly scepter to someone out of the tribe of Judah, which was Jesus. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
Then later in Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. That's Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And then in Micah, the one we find quoted in Matthew, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. You see, just as God carefully lined up prophecy to to bring Christ to that right place, so God has carefully lined up your life, and He's moving you in a direction of, of completeness and wholeness, that you might have a coronation of the King. See, there is a King that needs to be crowned, and His name is Jesus. When you read in antiquity and you read about what the historian said, uh, Suetonius wrote this. There had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated that at that time men coming uh, from Judea to rule the world. You see these Roman and these Jewish historians writing, there's something happening in our world. Tacitus wrote this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time in the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. God was doing something. Nick further wrote in his website, he said, risk then is not just part of life, it is life. Life is risky, guys, that's why we live by faith. The place between your comfort zone and your dream is where life takes place. It is a high anxiety zone, but it is also where you discover who you really are. We discover who we really are when we take a risk with God. It's time to crown him king. The wise men ask, where is he? Herod asked, where is he? The chief priest said, where is he? The scribes said, where is he? The people said, where is he? He's here. And he wants to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords in your life and in mine. You know, once you come to faith in Christ, you say, I believe that he is the Savior of mankind. But every day you have to go back and you have to say, I want to crown you King again. I want to acknowledge you to be the Lord of my life today. You don't, your salvation is secure, but that relationship needs to be made sound every day of your life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now and and just pray a prayer, something like this one in your own heart. A prayer for peace, a prayer for stability, a a prayer to know him if you don't know him. Let's just bow our heads together right now as we pray. If God has spoken to your heart and you as a Christian say, I know that that I really am a Christian, but I, I I feel like I just walked onto a stage with fear. Not secure, not knowing if God really cares, God really loves, even though I I know he does, but I fight that emotional dimension. Would you just give that to him right now? Just say, God, I want to release that to you. All my fears, all my inhibitions, I want to find refuge in God. Literally just see yourself getting rid of that right now into his arms. He died for your fear. He died for your discouragement. He died for your your struggles. He died for all that stuff. Let him have it. He knows what to do with it. You don't. It'll weigh you down. It'll ruin your life. Get rid of it now. Just say, God, I release it in the name of Jesus.
Would you just say that right now? I release it in the name of Jesus. Some of you are not sure you know Christ. You know about him, but you don't know him. Can I offer just a prayer like this one that you could pray in your own heart right now? A prayer of faith. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried, that you rose from the dead according to the scriptures, that you ever live right now to help me and, to, and one day you're going to return for me. But I need to have this salvation I read about in scripture that I hear about from friends. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, we will be saved. Right now I confess with my mouth, I believe. I believe in my heart right now that I'm saved. If that was your prayer, those were your words. Would you just thank Him right now in your own heart? Just thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making my life rich, taking away my fear, my struggle, the difficulties I experience in life. Thank you for taking those away, God. Just give it to Him right now. In Jesus' name. If that was your prayer today, you prayed to receive Christ today. There's something about sealing that. There's something about settling that. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. If that was your prayer today, would you just lift your eyes up right here and just look at me right now? Today, that was your prayer of faith. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you too. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. And you, you sir, yes. I want you to know God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And right now, he thinks about you and he always does and he always will. And he thinks favor towards you and goodness towards you. Just accept it. Just accept it right now. Every one of us. Just, God, I accept from your hand your grace and your love.